comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. If you've got one of these white and blue Bibles there in front of you, you can find it on page 980. I encourage you to follow along as we take a look at the word of the Lord this morning. If you uh, were growing tired of the gospel of John because it was too many metaphors, you might appreciate Peter because he's much more concrete. Uh, you can tell that Peter was, was not interested in pictures. He, he liked a lot more concrete words for us. Lord God, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we hear your word. Do not let me, your servant, stand in the way of your people hearing that word. Sanctify us, make us holy now by your truth, for your word is truth. Amen. After the disciples thought that Jesus died and rose, and I'm not saying that that, that didn't happen. I'm just saying that's what they perceived. That's what they experienced, right? If you'd stood in their shoes, they said, I think he died. I, I think he rose. So after that happened, honestly, things almost completely fell apart. Things just, the world almost all fell apart. Here's how one writer describes the situation in which Jesus died and rose. He says the situation deteriorated as procurators, that was the governors at the time, overseeing the province were largely corrupt, incompetent, and brutal. Other factors, too, contributed to the unstable situation. Mismanagement by local leaders, socioeconomic hardship, increasing banditry and tension between Jews and local Gentile settlements. Maybe that is a little technical to read at 9.30 or 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. In short, what this author is saying is it was a mess. The world in which Jesus died and rose was a mess. And you can tell that the disciples felt like it was a mess because of how they behaved. Does anybody remember, you know, what the disciples did after Jesus died and rose? We heard one of them in, in the first lesson, this, in the second lesson this morning, didn't we? What did they do? They locked themselves in a room. That's a real confident thing to do, right? Your master dies and you think he rises and what do they do? We better close the doors, everybody. They're going to get us. Who? I don't know those creepy people. And, and we don't know how long they stayed in that room, right? But we know a week later, they were back in the same place. Not a good start for a movement that is supposed to change the world. And it didn't get much better, did it? The disciples... They didn't go out from there and say, go to the temple and, and start telling everybody. They didn't go and, and put up a tent in the middle of Israel and say, it's a revival, people. Let's go. What did they do? They went home and they went fishing. Now, I know a number of you like to fish. I am good with fishing, too. I like fishing, too. Last time I checked, though, fishing was not a good way to get a message and a movement started. Fishing is a good way to check out of life, not make life happen, right? And that's fine. I mean, there are some days where you need to check out of life, right? But if you're trying to change the world, I would not recommend fishing as your first option. That's all the disciples had, though. Let's go fishing. It, it, it took for Jesus to show up to, to Peter and to say, feed my sheep, 
for them to, to consider changing, they went to Jerusalem and then everything changed. They, they went to Jerusalem one day and suddenly Peter found himself preaching in the temple. That day, thousands of people converted to the movement. And, and from that point on, the, the, the way, as the first people called it, or Christianity, as we call it, or the Jesus movement, yes, if you like to look at it that way, whatever you want to call it, right, from that point on, it was gone. It was off to the races. You know, there was no question about what it would happen to those people. But there was a couple of weeks where everybody wondered, is this thing even going to survive? Now, I, I have no idea how it felt to watch that movement take off. I have never gone viral. If you go and look at my Instagram page, I'm lucky if I get like one like on a picture, right? The most viral I ever was, I think, was, was probably last Easter. We did this little chant with the kids to, to remember the Easter message. I said, hip, hip, hooray, Jesus is risen today. For some reason, it stuck. Everybody walked around all day long saying, hip, hip, hooray, Jesus is risen today. It worked, right? That's the most viral I've ever been in my whole life. So I have no idea what it must have felt like to Peter to, to get caught on that day. But I know what it feels like to not to not get caught on, to not be viral, to, to get stuck. Have you ever been there? Right? Where you're, you're looking at the panic, you're looking at the confusion, you're saying, it feels like there's mismanagement by everybody. I'm facing economic hardship. There's banditry. People are taking advantage and stealing things from me. There's tension between local groups. You ever gotten in that place and you say, man, I just feel really stuck in my life. Of course you have. Right? We've all been there. We've all been stuck at that spot where, where our girlfriend dumps us and we want nothing but to get back with her and we just don't know what to do about it. Right? We've all been stuck at that spot where we can't find a job and we apply and we apply and we apply and we apply and we've turned in hundreds of job applications and we're like, um, I don't know what to do anymore. Right? We've all been stuck on the more serious level of having some problem, maybe even some sin, sickness, disease in our lives. And for whatever reason, we can't change the situation. We felt that. We've been there. That's where Peter is today. Maybe you, maybe you came on Easter, maybe you came on Good Friday, you heard that message, you saw all the things that happened, and you, and you look at Jesus and you think, man, there is the greatest man that I have ever known, but the world still put him to death, not in a nice way, but in a cruel and an awful and in a terrible way. They did such an injustice to him. Maybe you saw that on, on Good Friday and Easter, and you said, what do we do about that? 
That's the answer that Peter wants to give to you today. What's the first step that we do when we see that Jesus really was the very best guy in the world and they committed this terrible injustice against him and we've got a whole life full of things that we're stuck in and we just can't fix. That's what Peter wants to tell us about. And he starts out with this message. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, in English... That's two sentences. In Greek, it's one sentence. And if you would read Peter, his first sentence is even longer than that. So he's a little wordy. He's a little wordy. What's, what is the big idea of his sentence? What is he telling you gets you started in following Jesus? It's right here, right? This first little line. He's given us a new birth. That's what we have. That's how we get started with the first step of enjoying the resurrection. We get a new birth. That's how everything starts. Great little line, isn't it? We've heard plenty about the new birth before. Jesus told us all about the new birth. It was a very important idea for for all of the, the Christ, for all Christians since then. But you have to realize this is Peter's story. Peter is telling you, this is what happened to me. He's given us new birth. Do you know Peter's story? What was Peter's story? Peter was the first follower of Jesus who was really vocal, right? He was really committed. Uh, Peter, for whatever reason, he was kind of a loud mouth. You know, if you got that person in your life who just won't stop talking, that's probably Peter. On top of that, Peter, Peter was the guy who was rather self-confident. Jesus told Peter, all of you are going to fall away, uh, and one of you is going to betray me. You're all going to abandon me. And Peter said, nope, I won't do it. And then guess what happened? He did it. He still fell away. In fact, when the people came to him and said, hey, don't you follow Jesus? He said, no, 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 I don't even know the guy. Wimp. Peter didn't have a backbone, or at least he seemed like he didn't have a backbone. Still, Jesus came to Peter after he rose from the dead, and he said to him, Peter, look, you messed up, man. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, sheep. Peter was sent back out. Now, you've probably got people in your life who have betrayed you. You've had people who were disloyal to you and abandoned you when the, the going was tough. I remember in college feeling like the, all my buddies just, just did not love me anymore because on Friday night they were all gone. And I was like, where'd you guys all go? Right? You probably have people like that in your life that have abandoned you on a more serious level. Can you imagine coming back to them and saying, not only do I still want to be your friend, but I've got a job for you. I want you to be part of my kingdom. I want you to be the, the first leader. I'm going to be, you're going to be the guy who gets out there and gets the job done. 
That's what Jesus said to Peter. He sent him back out. That was for Peter, this new birth. Right? This is the heart and the core of Christianity. That you and I go through a change. That we go from a place of darkness into light, as we've heard. We go from thirst into satisfaction. We go from hunger to well-fed. We leave the place where we were, and we go into a new place, a new kingdom, a new family. And Peter tells us how that happens. He says, what we get into, you should say, we get into a place where we have living hope. Or he goes on to say, into an inheritance. So we get birthed into a hope or into an inheritance. And what I want to let you see here, Peter actually says, these are the same thing. The living hope is the inheritance. I know in English we put an and right here at the beginning of verse 4, but it's the same thing. The living hope is the inheritance. And what Peter is showing you is that the personal change that happens as you become part of Christianity is due to an objective reality. What's an inheritance? That's easy, right? An inheritance is something that your long lost or your very close relative, but it's better if it's a long lost relative because that means it's big bucks, right? (laughs) It's something that your long lost relative leaves you and the bank comes and sends you a note and says, look, you've inherited a billion dollars. And you're like, yes, my life is fixed finally. No, that's not an inheritance, right? But an inheritance is something that somebody who loved you and cared for you leaves behind for you. And when you get that inheritance, what do you know? You know that person cared about you. You know that person thought about you. You know that you mattered to that person. But you also know you have a place in a family, that you have a position, right, a status in that family. You have a value and a significance in that family. An inheritance is a guarantee of your security in that family. That's what God has said he has prepared for you. And that's what you are birthed into, into a new family with a new inheritance. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you. But can you imagine how much that meant to Peter as a good Jewish person? Peter was a person who was promised from the time he was a little baby that his people, his brothers, his sisters, his mothers, his fathers, his people, everybody, that they would inherit the entire land of Israel and eventually the world. And everywhere Peter looked, what did he see? He saw governors who were incompetent. He saw governors who were brutal. He saw tensions between all of the local people who couldn't get along. He saw economic poverty. And he said, what is this? I don't want this. Right? Just like you and I look around at so much of our lives and we say, I don't want this. And God said, I've prepared an inheritance for you that will give you exactly what you want. Friends, this inheritance can give you a new birth too. Have you gotten those emails from the Nigerian prince who said you're, you have inherited, you've received a million dollars and all you need to do is wire transfer $25 over and they'll, they'll send you the rest of the money? Have you gotten one of those lately? 
Probably if, if you're like me, you, you think, oh, yeah, I'm never going to fall for that. Until the other day, I got one of those, but it was, it was like this. It was my relative, my husband actually, passed away. He had a grand piano, and I want to give it to somebody who, who really enjoys music. And, and this person was really smart about this, really good. They copied me and another church on it. They went for people who had music, and they said, all you have to do is help me with the shipping. You don't even have to send me money. Just help me with the shipping. If you come pick it up or whatever, we'll, you can have this grand piano. And I have to admit that for a little bit, I was like, heck yeah, I want a grand piano. I would love to have a piano. Plus, I know how many people are giving away pianos for free. Everybody's giving away your, their piano for free because nobody can f- play them anymore. And I thought... Finally, I've got myself a piano. And maybe for you, it's not the grand piano. Maybe it's the Nigerian prince who promises you the oil field that will make you millions of dollars. Maybe it's the Nigerian prince who promises you gold if they'll just send it to your way. But don't you want an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade? Something that will never be taken away from you? Of course you do. Just like I do, just like every one of our hearts, the moment we get that email, we, we, for just a second, we say, I wish that was me. And God says, that is you. That is you. That is what I have promised you. That is what I have prepared for you. That is what I have given you in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I have set aside for you something that is better than gold, something that is better than silver, something that is better than a grand piano, better than Nigerian oil fields. I have set aside for you a home that can never get taken away. A king that will always be yours. A family that is perfect. A love that never ends. That's what I've got for you in eternity. And it will never be taken away from you. Would you like that? Of course you would. Of course you would. And it can be yours. And you might say, how could the resurrection of Jesus How could something that he goes through change my life? Did you notice here, Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, how could something that he experiences change my life? Right? Don't Don't you know, pastor, don't you realize that I have to change if I want my life to be different? That I have to go through things if I want things to be different for me? But you know, there are rare chimes in our lives where somebody else experiences something and you and I have the change. Think about, I think about the times where I got to see my babies born. I'd love to claim that I had some part in that, okay, but I didn't. But did my life change in huge and dramatic ways the moment that baby was born? Absolutely. I went in that moment from being just a man to being a father. I went in that moment from being a husband to being a father and maybe someday a grandfather. My whole life changed. And when Jesus rose from the dead, your whole life can change too if you are part of that family. It will change for you. And that's what the apostle Peter wants to leave you with. He says, not only do you have a great inheritance but it will change for you. He wraps it up and he tells us this. 
He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and in glory and in honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Did you hear what he said in that little phrase there? He said, the proven genuineness of your faith. How many of you feel like a fraud in life? How many of you feel like a fraud? How many of you feel like a fake? How many of you feel like you're just showing other people the side that you want to see? I'll admit, I'm, I'm there oftentimes, right? I, I am oftentimes up the person who feels like I'm showing everybody else the best side of myself, and I'm not being real. God says, here's how you become genuine in your life. He says, you need to show the proven genuineness of your life. But do you know that the trick of being proven genuine is you have to pass the test, right? You have to get past the test so that you can be shown to be the real deal. And Peter here points out to you and I that you can pass this test. The same word that says the proven genuineness of your faith also means a test that you and I will get tested. And there is nothing more important in life than that on a practical level, on a daily level, right? You pass the test of faith so that you get proven genuine. My wife and I, we have a little phrase that we like to use to describe how we have to participate in so much of life. You got to fake it until you make it, right? And everybody likes to say that, but do you realize what that says? It says that almost all of us are just faking our way through life until we finally get proven to be the real thing. Nobody starts out in all of these areas of our lives as the real deal. We're all faking it in hopes that someday we can actually make it there. And if you want to be the real thing in the kingdom of God too, you have to let somebody else test you so that you can finally make it. Will you let somebody else administer the test of your life? Jesus has passed through the great test through his death and resurrection so that he can test you. And you can be assured that without a doubt, you will pass the test. He will draw you through to the other side. And yes, you might be faking it now, but you will make it. You will make it to the other side. You will be proven genuine. You will be shown as somebody who has passed the real test. Friends, I, I know that it's easy to feel like you're faking it in all of this life. It's easy to feel like as we go through, we face all of these troubles and these struggles that we don't really know what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for us, right? We walk around and we say, God, I don't know what to do about this thing. How do I live with faith when I go to work every day and my boss really doesn't even care that I'm a Christian? How do I live with faith every day when I go to the school or I go to the office or I go to Meyer or go to Walmart and, and it seems that Christianity doesn't matter one bit? Maybe I'm just faking it. Maybe I'm not the real thing. Every day you are passing through the test to prove the genuineness of your faith.
and you will be born. You will come out the other side to be proven the real deal. You will pass the test because he's passed through it for you. Let's pray then as we, that we would pass this great test of our lives. Lord Jesus, you promise that you will prove the genuineness of our faith. We might feel like we're faking it, like we're not the real thing as we, we pass through all of these challenges. Just like we look at Peter who went and hid. He basically went fishing. He just stepped away from life. He checked out because he, he didn't think that he could do this either. We pray that you would, would let us try to pass through these tests of our lives and prove then to us that we are the real thing, that you have given us real faith because you are risen from the dead. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.